Thank you all for coming. We appreciate your presence here in the house of God. If we can all please stand as we get ready to get into the into the worship session here. My name is Pastor Better, one of the pastors here on staff at MPI Church. We like to start out every service with a testimony. This morning we got our brother Juan Riesco. Let's give him a hand as he comes up. Hey guys, my name is Juani, and uh, I'm here to testify that we all have a calling for Jesus. Uh, I've been saved now for three years, uh, and, and, and the first two years were awesome. They were super tight. I was killing it. I was living for God. But uh, what I realized, I was missing a little something. I was missing a little drive. I was missing, I was missing my goal is what I realized. Uh, and, you know, how many of us know that with our friendships, we set goals. With our, with our job, we set goals. And, and I'm here to say that with Jesus, we need to set, how, how much more would Jesus do we even need to set a goal? You know, we need to, set, we need to, we need to focus on, the, on God and, uh, and know that he has a specific call in our lives and a specific goal in our lives. Uh, and, and we need to seek that in prayer, uh, a specific prayer, and it will get a specific answer. So uh, I want to share a Bible verse that kind of uh, uh, um, relates to that. And it is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Uh, Who saved us and called us to a holy calling? Uh, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, uh, which he gave us in Christ Jesus Amen. before the ages began. God has a calling for us, and he, and he had that calling before the ages even began. Hallelujah. Let's just bow our heads and uh, thank you, Jesus, for our calling, God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you for loving us before we were born, God. Lord God, I just pray for a, a blessed uh, service today. And I pray that we all seek our calling in you, Jesus. Hallelujah. In your name we pray. Amen. Love 
Just lift your hands with me as the sign of surrender. Come on, the universal sign of surrender is your hands up in the air. But it's also the universal sign of victory. Come on, let's lift our hands. There's victory in this place but through Jesus. He's already here. Come on. We just invite you in our hearts. Jesus, we invite you in our personal space this morning. Come on. Have you wait? Have you wait? Have you wait? The atmosphere is changing now.
Oh, 
just hear the Lord speaking to someone here and he's this is what he is saying he's saying the chains fall off right where you're standing see you keep thinking that oh well if I if I go to the altar then they'll fall off or if I go to this place then they'll fall off or if I do this thing then then they'll be gone or if I do all these things then then the chains will fall off but Jesus says that the chains fall off right where you stand. When you ask for forgiveness, for, for freedom, from addiction, from slavery, from bondage, from bad relationships, whatever it is that you feel keeps holding you back from the presence of God. Your sin is so great. You feel like it's so great that you just can't break free. But Jesus is saying, they fall off where you stand when you stand in my perfection. So let those chains break off. Ask the Lord. Humble yourselves. Get to your knees. Do what it takes to just right where you stand. They fall off when you ask and you repent. That's when they fall off and you are forgiven in this moment. Not a moment to come, but right now. Boone, if that's you right now, just respond where you're at. If you need to lift your hands, you need to fall to your knees. Come on. If you need a shout, a shout of victory. Oh.
fountain where I run, the fountain I drink from, oh, is my song. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life, oh, is my song. You are good, you're good.
excited about Jesus today come on he is never gonna let us down no matter what season of life we are in today you have to declare that your Jesus the king of your heart will not let you down how many of you guys believe that today come on how many of you guys are ready to testify about the goodness of God we're gonna keep worshiping we're gonna keep pressing in but I need some testifiers today I need somebody to come up here and grab this mic from my hand and say, I have to testify. The fire is burning in my bones. So I want to open up this time. I want about three, four, five, six, however many. Let's keep it to about 30 seconds. And after every single person's testimony, we're going to sing it out. You are good. You are good. You are good. So I want to start with some of the young people up here. Don't make me wait too long. If you know Jesus and you know that he's been good, you should be ready to testify. So one of you guys got to get started. Let's all stay in the attitude of worship. Some of you guys right here, just one, come up right on the stage. We're going to face the people and you're going to testify. And you know what is so powerful about our testimony that you have to understand as believers today? And Revelation, it says that we overcome him. Who is him that we is talking to? The devil. You overcome him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of your testimony. So some of you guys have been being messed with by the devil. And you have to understand that you will overcome the enemy by the blood of Jesus and by the word of your testimony. And the reason why your testimony is so powerful is because it says in the book of Proverbs that by, with your tongue you can either speak life or speak death. Your, your tongue has the power of life and death in it. So if you want life 
to come back into your marriage, you better speak words of life over it. You got to testify about the goodness of God and what he can do in your marriage. If you want life to come back into your children, you better use your words to speak life over them and not bring death. And sometimes you need to testify about what you don't see that, so that you can see what you want to see. Are you guys with me today? Sometimes you have to speak what you want to see even though you don't see it right now. So come on, I want somebody up here right now in three seconds. One, two, three. Come on, stay up here. Are you ready to testify? Come on. Hey man, God is good, man. Uh, two years ago, two years ago, I gave my life to Jesus, you know. Back in back, I was I was a sinner. I was a dirty sinner. And, okay. And, uh, man, I used to, you know, I used to do all these things, man. I used to smoke. I used to drink, you know. I was about to turn to, I was about to become a game banker. But Jesus saved me. He set me free from all these things. He set me free from depression. And, man, he set me free. Come on, that's something to worship about. That's something to testify about. Come on, sing it out. broken I was in sin I fell I asked God for forgiveness yesterday I asked God for forgiveness for all my sins and I repented with a truly heart I repented for everything I have done I was lost the devil broke me down I was on fire for Jesus one time one point and the devil just broke me down and I just let him I let him break me down but he, Jesus no more time I will I won't turn back, Lord God. I promise. I repent, Lord God. You have found my way because of you, Lord God. You are so good, Lord God. I'm not going to turn back, Lord God. I am. A, my path is going to be straight, Lord God, for you. Jesus, I repent. Come on, you are good, Jesus. You're God is good and, and Pastor Nancy says like uh, we need to declare we are people who need to live by sight no I'm sorry but faith not by sight and that is that I want to declare I have a son who lives with me and I want to declare that he's serving the Lord I don't see it I don't see it but I declare because I know that God has given him uh, dreams when he's preaching on the stage in many countries and that is that I know that has a call of evangelists. And I declare that he's going to be preaching very soon. And that he's going to be on the stage. He's going to be traveling around the world declaring that Jesus is the Lord. All time we confess that Jesus is the Lord and all need will be bowed down before God. And that is going to be my son, Henio. Amen and amen. Thank you, Jesus. You two more, two more. You're
Hey guys, so uh, I was in Metro Praise for about uh, five years. I was in Bible College, a leader uh, at Elevate, and uh, and uh, I just thought I knew it all, and I backslid. I left the church, and I was a mean, hateful, nasty person. I was, I drank, I hated everybody, I, I cursed, I did everything that I preached against as a as a Christian. I just thought there was no no hope. I was in a dark place, and I really believed I was hell bound, and I didn't, and I never thought I would be back in this church, let alone on a stage. <laughs> and you know, it's just, and then my brother, he's back too, and it, 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 it is just, and you, and you know, it's just amazing to see what God can do, and the devil can roar, he can, can lie and say all these things, but I, I know that there's a God of power, and I know that he saves, and I know that he rescues, and I know that he set people free, because I've experienced it in my life, in the place I was, it's not an exaggeration, guys, I was suicidal, I really believed I was hellbound, I really believed there was no way for me to come back, and every day I was, would tell God, God, it's too late, I'm too far, I'm not coming back, this is it. This is it, and I would see myself standing, standing in front of Jesus and him saying, get away from me. And I was called. I love people. I preached the gospel. That's who I want. And, and the devil tried to tell me I wasn't that anymore. He told me I was hateful. He told me I was dying. He said, you're going to be here. And Jesus said, no, you're not. No, you're not. And she got that sword on you. She saw that sword. He said, you're not. And God has a plan. God has a plan for everyone. No matter where you're at today, he has a plan. He saved me. He saved me. And if he can save me, and I started so the fact that I'm doing this it's all God you know and I just I believe fully in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ praise God come on yes, come on you are good. You're good. come on let's drop your hands all across this room we serve an awesome God we could be here testifying all morning long there's so many more people in line i'm going to give an opportunity for one more if you are on fire ready to testify come to the altars at the end of service okay the altars are open for whatever you want to do come and testify to the altar workers about what god has done amen come on brother you ready to testify um well i've been at metro since i was the age of 17 and um now you know i'm 24 now <laughs> and a lot of times I felt like, you know, my time was wasted. Um, I always felt like I had something to prove to people. And where all of that comes from is pride, you know? And I always felt like I had to do this. And I'm sorry. And um, I always felt like I had to 
prove a point to people and make a statement and be like, you know, this is what makes me a man and this is what proves, you know, my salvation and what I can do. And, you know, for the past like few months and I've been seeking God with all my heart um, and um, the God, uh, the job I was provided with, I have a lot of free time and the time I spend with God, um, you know, he spoke to my heart and told me that I have nothing to prove to to man you know it, there's there's no trying you know you just are you're saved by God there's no proving anything you just you're saved that's it you stand on that and God just continues to, to he just keeps saying you know you you don't pray for patience you're already patient you know you don't you don't say that you you know like I'm trying to live right no you are living right you know you're, you're victorious in Christ and that's just for people to know that you have nothing to prove to people it's all for God and God will will show that through your actions he will he will show people in, with his love that that he's giving you and, and it, it shows you don't have to prove it to anybody if you're not doing it with a full heart it is and it's not you know from your heart you know that, that it's just empty words it's nothing you know and God gives you he gives you that heart you can just continue to seek Jesus. And to this day, you know, God saved me from that. And amen, like, amen, Jesus. Come on, let's sing it out. He is so good. God, you are so good, Jesus. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your deliverance, oh God. We thank you for your righteousness, for your salvation, for the blood of Jesus. Come on, sing it out. Lord, we thank you for your presence and your power in this room today. We thank you, Jesus, that we overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. And we are overcomers this morning. We are overcomers in you. And we give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise, Jesus. King of our heart, be glorified and be magnified today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise one more time. Come on as you make your way back to your seats. Praise the Lord. How many of you guys glad you came to church today? Amen. Welcome to Metro Praise International. My name is Nancy Wyrostek. I'm one of the apostolic elders here. You just experienced a powerful worship service with us. We're going to get into the gospel message today. How many of you guys know what gospel means? Come on, what does gospel mean? Good news. I have good news for you today. I'm going to preach the gospel message, the good news that Jesus saves. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, there's another part to that, is there not? Cannot inherit the kingdom of God. They'll get it up for the, us there. 
I might not have copied and pasted the whole thing. I'm sorry. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I want to let you know if you're here today and you live a lifestyle of sin, a lifestyle of sexual immorality, rebellion against God, impurity, uncleanness, doing things your way, not submitting to the lordship of Jesus, declaring him to be the boss of your life. You cannot inherit the kingdom of God, the Bible says. And the reason why this is good news is because the Bible shows you the way you can live. And because Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins, he makes it possible for us to live the life he died to give us. He died so that we could be victorious over sin. He died and rose again from the grave so you wouldn't have to live a life of sexual immorality, of greed, of drunkenness. Everything that this world has to offer you will leave you high and dry in the end, my friend. Sin tastes good only for a moment. But at the end, it bites. And the devil came to steal, kill, and destroy. He doesn't just want to steal from you. He wants to completely destroy your destiny. So if you've been living a lifestyle of sin, you've been backslidden, or you've never been born again, the Bible says you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. If you are not living right for Jesus today, you are allowing the devil to steal from you, to destroy your purpose and to eventually kill you. And his ultimate goal is eternal damnation and hell with him. But I want to let you know that Jesus saves. Jesus saves, my friends. So if, if you guys could please just close your eyes all across this room and bow your heads. For those of you guys who are living right for Jesus today, you have surrendered your your life to the Lord, you've been born again, I want you to start praying and interceding for those in this room who are not right, that they would surrender today. The Bible says that Jesus comes and knocks on the door of your heart. And if you will open the door, he'll come in and eat with you and sup with you, commune with you. Some of you guys have not opened that door to Jesus, and I want to encourage you, let that day be today. So as I begin to pray for you, I want you to come into agreement with that prayer and surrender your life to God and say, Jesus, I want to get right today. Because there is no place for you in the kingdom of God if you live any other way than what the, the Bible says you have to live by. So let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for the power of your word that goes forth. Your word is sharp, sharper than a double-edged sword, and it penetrates the dividing soul and spirit, joints the marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of our heart. I pray that today lies would be saved, that you would redeem souls today, oh God, that they would humble themselves before you, fall on their knees, oh God, and say, Jesus, you are my Lord. I repent. Forgive me. I don't want to live my life my way anymore. I want to live your way, Jesus. Save me, Jesus. Cover me with your blood. I pray that they would accept your free gift of salvation in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Please stand up to your feet with me. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise for his word. It's only by the blood of Jesus that you could be washed clean. Amen. We're going to confess our confession of faith together at this time. This is our Christian worldview. This is the way we see the world around us. So let's recite it together on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
the Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind is by faith alone and Christ alone, by God's grace alone and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Woo. Spend some time fellowshipping. Give somebody a hug or a handshake. Just hang out and have fun.
All right, all right. Who's excited to be at Metro Praise? Make some noise. Come on, welcome to MPI. We're so excited that you guys chose this church to come and join your, spend your Sunday morning with us. On behalf of all the leaders, we're so thankful for you coming out. If this is your first time here, keep on coming back. Invite your friends and your family. Our services here are every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. This is our family service. We have King's Kids in the back for children, infants to 11 years old. So if you have children in that age group, please feel free to sign them up in the back. We have wonderful children's workers who will love on them and take care of them and teach them about Jesus. And then we have Elevate Fridays at 7 p.m. every week. If you're 11 to 18 years old, that's where you want to be on Friday nights. Don't miss out. Awesome teenagers on fire for God. Uh, the best leaders on the planet, be there, invite your friends. You, that's where you want to be so that God can meet your high school and just blow it up for Jesus, okay? We have the end of the month, we have our God's presence and his presence service. This is our soul winning summer wrap up. This is going to be our outreach for the month of October. So please blow it up with your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends. They're passing out all the, you know, the literature. So feel free to invite anybody that you want. We really want to close out this soul winning summer with prayer and worship. So in between, in between the preaching, we're going to have a time of prayer and going after God for healing, deliverance, just a powerful powerful time. So it will be October 30th, the last Sunday of the month for our 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. services. Our vision here at MPI is loving God, loving people. Can you say that with me? Loving God and loving people. That is our vision. Those are the two greatest commandments that Jesus gave to us. That's how we want to live our life. And then we have a strategy. Our strategy is to connect, mentor, and send. We want to connect you to the church through our life groups. We want to mentor you through our 101 and 201 books. Then we want to send you out to do evangelism, to continue to preach the gospel to the lost because we know that there are more hurting people in this city and around the world that need to hear the message of Jesus. And it's our responsibility to go and tell them. And then our goal is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches here and 500 around the world. Can I get a what, what? We're going to be like elevators today. All right, look to your neighbor and say, get connected. I want to encourage you, if you have not done so already, find a life group. We just started our new quarter, so this is a schedule for October, November, and December. In the back of your handout, you'll see all the life groups that we have to offer. Here's a snapshot of what's happening just for this week. So kicking it off today, we have our single moms. They're meeting here at the church today at 5.30. Child care is always provided. Powerful, powerful time. Wednesday is our King's Kids, infants to 11 years old, 6.30 here at the church. Bring out your children. God's blowing it up. They are doing amazing. We have Royal Rangers Boys Club, Impact Girls Club. You want your children to be in those clubs. Amen. That's their discipleship time. Thursday, we have our gang outreach, 18 years and up, 7 p.m. meeting here at the church. Friday, two adult Bible studies, one at the Goveas, the other one is at the Vivids, 18 years and up, 7 p.m. Pick a place to go to get refreshed throughout the week. Then we have Saturday, the ambassadors, 11 to 18 years old, 1 p.m. here at the church. God's doing it. It's awesome. You guys rock. Then say, get mentored. 
We want to mentor you. We have leaders ready to take you through our 101 book called Welcome to Your New Life. That's done one-on-one because we want to encourage you and challenge you to be all that God has called you to be. And then when you graduate the 101, you'll get into the 201 class, Disciples That Make Disciples, so that we could train you to be a leader, so that you could be ordained as a deacon or an elder and fulfill God's call on your life and be all that he wants you to be in the church and in the world to fulfill his great commission. Then we want to send you out. We want to send you out to do evangelism. We never stop preaching the gospel from the day we get saved to the day we die. May it be said of us that we've always told people about Jesus. Amen. So every Saturday from 5 to 8, we hit the streets preaching the gospel, straight up just street witnessing, complete strangers coming up to you. And the Bible says you should be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. No matter where you are, what you're doing, you should be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. So why do you have the hope that you have in Jesus? That is what street witnessing helps you to answer. And so many times, you know, they want to bring up their excuses. Don't be afraid of that. Okay, because you're never at the mercy of a person with an argument when you have a testimony. They can never take away your testimony. So go out there, refresh other people so that you can be refreshed in your walk with God and you can fulfill God's call on your life. Amen. So in recap, Metro Praise is a vision, a strategy, and a goal. A vision of loving God and loving people. Strategy to connect, mentor, and send. And a goal of 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches here and 500 around the world. Let me get a hallelujah. Praise God. With him, it is possible. And every single one of you have a part to play in this vision. You guys excited to give your tithes and offerings today? Come on. We could do a little bit better than that. Let me say it again. Are you guys ready to give your tithes and offerings today? Woo! Come on. We're on lesson uh, 14. You can go to the Metro Praise Facebook page. Click on the link. This is the last lesson of this section for stewardship stewards leave an inheritance mine says 14 but it says 13 there did i write the wrong one? Oh, i am on the wrong one i did put 13 i'm going to read it from the screen so we're not on the last one we got one more left stewardship is the wise management of everything god has entrusted us with can you go back up because i got the title wrong what is the title today stewards are generous how many generous people do i have Come on, we love to be generous. Let's read the passage of scripture for today. Acts 2, 44 through 45. All of the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And let me boast at Metro Praise. We have a Good Samaritan page, and we have people giving away stuff all the time. That is what the church started and looked like. Anybody who had need they gave it away. And that's why there was no more really poor people among them. They kept taking care of people's needs and shared everything. And they were so generous. And that is what I see at MPI. So let's continue to learn how we could apply this lesson to our life. Number one, all believers were together. The book of Acts describes the ideal church in which all present churches should aspire to. The first church set the prime example of perfect unity in the cause of Jesus Christ. So for Jesus' cause, for his sake, we should all be unified. There should be no division among us. Number two, sold property and possessions. Notice how the disciples first had to own things, such as valuable possessions and extra houses, to even be able to sell them to give as offerings. Therefore, they were not all poor or struggling. Many were prosperous enough to give generously to God's people. So not everybody was just, you know, poor and struggling. There was people, wealthy people, people that worked hard and had a lot to give, to give away, and they were generous. That's what drove them to give what they gave and sold their properties and gave it to the, you know, they laid it at the apostles' feet 
uh, the book of Acts says. Number three, gave to anyone who had need. The needs of those in the church were met by those who could afford to give generously. Therefore, if everyone is poor, everyone will stay poor. However, if people prosper, they can help the needy to be poor no more. Say poor no more. That's why, we, that's why our prayer is for you guys to be blessed and prosperous. Go to school, finish college, get a, get a trade, get a degree, get a good job. Keep your job. Don't keep quitting. Okay, be prosperous. That should be your prayer. That should be your confession. And I know we have so many testimonies of God's goodness in your lives due to finances and raises. It's all that, that prayer that I pray every Sunday, I, I see it coming into fruition in a lot of your lives. So in summary, pray that God will prosper you so that you can be generous and help others in need. That is what we are to do with the abundance that God gives to us. So let's apply, it, apply this to our life in three ways. Number one, be faithful in giving your tithes, 10% of your total income and offerings, anything you give after your tithe. Number two, work hard and use wisdom to gain worldly wealth so you can be generous in giving to missions, drug rehabs, community programs, orphanages, and the like. And that's all what we do here at MPI through our missions giving. And number three, once you are prosperous, having enough to meet your needs and able to give generous, teach others how to be prosperous. For it is always better to give a hand up than just a handout. So we're not here just to keep giving handouts to people that don't want to do what they're supposed to do to get out of the rut that they're in, amen? You become prosperous, you become generous, you have more than enough to give, then you teach that next person to do the same, to give God glory. So let's recite this confession over our life, over our finances, on the count of three. One, two, three. God has called us to be managers that are committed to stewarding whatever gifts we have received from him. We are to be wise, fruitful, faithful, trustworthy, multiplying, and shrewd stewards, living debt-free and generous lives, providing an inheritance for our children and grandchildren. Please stand up to your feet with me this morning. Let's prepare to give the Lord our best. On the offering envelope, you can mark the exact amount that you want allocated towards each um, section, whether it's tithe, missions, or building. Again, a tithe is 10% of our total income given regularly to the church. We designate our offering, which is anything you give after your tithe, towards missions and towards the building fund. Here are four ways you could give at MPI. Number one, in the bucket during the offering. Number two, in the wall-mounted drop boxes. Number three, in the back with a credit or debit card. You can see me today if you want to do that. Number four, you could go online and use Chase QuickPay, PayPal, or BillPay at mpichurch.org forward slash giving. Let's recite this verse together. Philippians 4.19. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you have showed us by example how to be generous. I pray that we would be a generous people, having more than enough, God, to meet our needs and the needs of our neighbor. I pray that we would be an extension of your love, your mercy, your grace. I ask, oh Lord, that you would continue to bless your people, prosper them, bring them increases and raises and promotions. God, I pray that the favor of the Lord would rest upon them and the sight of all of their co-workers, their bosses, in Jesus' name. And I pray that we would use our wealth, be wise with our worldly wealth, God, so that we could see your kingdom uh, expand and increase in Chicago and around the world. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Please come forward as you give, and we thank you so much for your generosity.
That beat is hurting. We'll just turn it down for right now. We'll just turn that beat down. That beat was saying, get me out of here. We're going to figure it out. Open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 1. Always fun at the Metro. If you love Jesus, can I get a what? What? So good to see you guys here wearing hoodies. Some of you got your uh, long sleeve on. Some of you got even a little beanie on. You got your little beanie cap on. Me, I'm still rocking shorts in my chanclas. <laughs> you know how I do it. But listen, man, I was really tempted today. I was like, maybe I'll wear my cargo pants. But I was like, no, it ain't, it ain't cold enough yet for the cargo pants. So I'll keep rocking my cargo shorts. How many are enjoying a little bit of nice weather? It's, it's sunny. It's a little cool. The breeze is coming through. Did anybody do anything fun this weekend? Anybody? Y'all lame? Are you having fun? I've done like five bonfires already. I uh, have a big old uh, play, what do you call this, a playground in my backyard that was made of wood. You know, one of those things you put in your backyard. I rent a house, so I didn't put it there. But it was old, and it was getting dilapidated, and I think our four kids pretty much tore it down to its last leg. And one day we came out, it was a windy day, and it was like the roof was off, you know, because they got the little tree house up that the roof was off. And I was like, let's tear this thing down. So I got somebody online. I found, you know, found them online. They came over, tore the whole thing down down and guess what it is now firewood yeah i'm telling you man crackling all night long crackle crackle the fire get it about a good six feet high that's a good bonfire in your backyard with the fire pit amen make it a little scary for the neighbors and i literally said to myself i said i want to walk around my neighborhood and see how far i can see the fire and you can see my fire quite a ways away it was blazing pretty high if you're in john chapter one somebody say i'm there Okay, now just be honest with me right now. Did anybody do their homework for this week? I said, read the book of John, specifically John chapter 1. Did anybody do it? Anybody? Raise your hand if you did. Okay, about two of you. Man, I got to do better at giving you guys homework. Okay, John is our new series, and I want you guys to start reading the book of John. Can you all do this for next week? Somebody read the book of John. It's in the Bible. It's good stuff. And let me just tell you, the chapter one, chapter one is like awesome. And so today I'm going to blow your mind by God's grace. It's going to be amazing. I think we're all going to learn something, okay? So if you're new to the Bible, this is a great place to start. Bring your friends for next week if they're not here and tell them to watch this message online. So this is what we're going to do for the series. We're going to go into John chapter one today, verses one through five. The sermon is called In the Beginning. Everybody say, In the Beginning. Thank you. In the beginning. Now, next week, Lord willing, I'll still talk on chapter 1, and it's going to be called Children of God. There's a part of chapter 1 that says, to as many as received him, talking about Jesus, he gave them the right to become children of God. So that's going to be awesome. Then, after that, we are going to take the next seven weeks to go through the seven signs of Jesus that he gives in the book of John that will then bring us to the end of the year. So yeah, it's only about seven weeks, two uh, special outreaches, one in October, one in November, or three rather. We got the one coming up in October, the presence and presence one. In November, we're going to do like an illustrated sermon. Brandon will be with us. And then in December is Christmas. How many are excited about Christmas? The Christmas is coming. And I know a lot of you are getting pumped about that. And then here's the deal. If y'all haven't noticed, Christmas is on what day this year? It's on Sunday, so y'all better come to church for Jesus' birthday. If you like, well, we're going to celebrate Jesus' birthday at home. You lame. 
You better come to Jesus' birthday party, okay? Jesus' birthday party is at his house. Don't be like, like, like imagine like I have a birthday party and it's at my house and I invite you to come and you're like, no, I'm going to celebrate your birthday party at my house with all my friends and just all people right here. No, don't do that. Christmas, you come. Now, we made it easy because we know a lot of you have things to do on Christmas and a lot of family stuff. So we're just going to have one 10 a.m. service, no second service at 1 p.m., no 201 discipleship. We're just going to come here, pack this place out, and it's going to be awesome. So here's the whole deal. I could have taken on the whole book of John verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and it literally would take me about a year and a half to two years to go through it. I do that in Bible college. I do that in different settings. On Sundays, I think that's hard because literally you could listen to the book of John on an audio Bible within an hour and a half to two hours. I think when you preach it for that long, you sometimes lose the, the meaning of it all because it gets to be so out of its context. The book of John was meant to be read in one sitting. If you were alive during this time and John gave you this book, he wouldn't like come back a year and a half later and go, have you read that? No, he'd be like next day. Like, did you read it? This is what it's about. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to commit between now in the end of the year, you read the whole book of John. You read the whole book of John. Go to your phones, find a Bible app. Go to the internet, put it on audio. Listen to it while you work, okay? And if you don't get in trouble, do that. Uh, on your jogs, on your exercise, anything that you do, taking care of your children. I come down all the time. I listen. Uh, my wife is listening to the Bible. How many ladies take advantage of that? Like you're just taking care of your kids, right? Make time to do it. Now, next week, I want you to do John chapter 1. Somebody say, I'll do it. Okay, so today we're starting a new series, the Gospel of John series. Today's message is in the beginning. Let's go to John chapter 1, verses 1 and onward. Here is John the Apostle talking to us. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This passage is one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. If you're looking for something to memorize, if you're looking for something to meditate on, I would encourage you as you're reading the Gospel of John, take these first five verses and memorize them. I've already committed them to memory. Let's see how I'm doing right now, okay? I'm going to, well, this is right here, so I'm going to, you just trust me, I'm not going to look at it, okay? I'll look at your beautiful brown eyes. Are they brown or black? Which one? Okay, my man, my man. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made. In Him was life, and that light, life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Boom shakalaka! Come on. And let me just tell you, y'all going to clap if clap. If you're going to do it, do it for your pastor. It's okay, thank you. I'm just messing with you. But let me just tell you something really cool. This just blew my mind. A lot of young people here right now, right? Guess what I be rocking my, and I'm like hood right now, so I'm, I'm like in that mood, so everybody deal with me. I'm going to get educated in just a minute. But uh, I, I have been uh, riding my bike, and I've been wanting to get on this, uh, this John thing. So you know what I got here? Look what I got here. I got this Bible that's got hip-hop behind it. It's called Street Lights Bible. You can find it on iTunes, and I bet you it's also I bet you it's also on Spotify whatever listen to John chapter 1 right here
The Gospel of John, Prologue, Christ, the Eternal Word. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him. Oh, isn't that awesome? So Streetlights Bible got the whole thing for you. All you have to do, literally, let me just tell you, John chapter 1, listen, it's 5 minutes and 48 seconds. Y'all better do this next week, okay? You better listen to this because it's going to change your life. It's the scriptures. It's powerful. Can I get an amen? Thank you. Okay, let's go into the Gospel of John here, give you a little uh, background knowledge of it. John the Beloved Gospel, uh, John the Beloved Disciple, rather, wrote this Gospel most likely around the time of 85 A.D. to help supplement the other three Gospels. The first three Gospels are called the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And the reason why they're called Synoptic Gospels because they're very synonymous with each other. They're very similar to each other. Matthew, the disciple, was a tax collector writing to a Jewish audience and he starts with the genealogy of Jesus and has a lot of prophecy from the Old Testament so that people can know the life of Jesus. Mark was an assistant to Peter and he took all of Peter's main points and made the gospel of Mark. And Mark's a very fast moving gospel and gets right to the point of why Jesus came and shows a lot of the work that he did. The gospel of Luke was written by Paul's assistant because as Paul was traveling around the known world at that time, Luke wanted to make sure, and he was a doctor by trade, make sure that he got all the information of those early disciples and put them into his gospel. And then lo and behold, when you look back at them, they were like a surround sound, not contradicting each other, but filling in each other's points. And they were called the synoptic gospels because they basically all had the same beginning, middle, and end. John comes around 85 AD. Now remember, he was the youngest disciple out of all the disciples, the closest to Jesus, laying his head upon Jesus's chest at the the Last Supper, was also given a lot of special, unique privileges, and he lived to be the longest, so he's the youngest, he lives to be the longest, uh, the oldest, and now he sees Matthew, Mark, and Luke haven't told all that needs to be told, and he's probably getting to the end of his life, and he goes, hey, I've got to tell you some stuff about Jesus that Matthew hasn't told you, that Mark hasn't told you, that Luke hasn't told you, so he starts to supplement those things into the gospel. In other words, he presents 90% of unique information. 90% of what the Gospel of John has, you won't find in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. That's why when we go out and preach, we give out those little white books called the Life Book, and it's the Gospel of John. Some of you who, when you first got saved, the leaders here said, start reading in the book of John. We encourage everybody to do that because John will blow your mind. John starts off in a very unique way, and then he runs through his Gospel, not just like telling history, but telling the miracles of Jesus, and he breaks them down into seven signs. So now into the end of the year, we're going to talk about these seven signs. But first, got to get you a good introduction. That's what these next two weeks are for. Now, John starts his gospel with the most fascinating, in my opinion, description of God ever seen in the Bible. Did you hear those first few verses that we just read? In the beginning. Here, Mark, uh, Matthew starts off with, you know, the, the, the begots. You know, this guy begot, this guy begot, this guy, and tells the genealogy of Jesus' earthly parents. John skips all that and says, before there was ever anything, in the beginning was God, was the Word. There he was, boom. Before there was ever a Mary, before there was ever a world, there was the Word. 
And so that to me is so fascinating, but it goes beyond that because now it begins to talk about the relationship that the Word has with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, if you want to learn about the Holy Spirit, the most in-depth teaching on the Holy Spirit is found in the book of John, John chapter 14, 15, and 16. Now the cross, of course, is the center of all the Gospels, and it's no different for John, but it's the introduction. Everybody say the introduction. Thank you. It's the introduction that gives the foundation of its importance. And I really believe this will help, help you as you witness to your friends, as you talk to those from other religions, because sometimes they think that Jesus was just a good man that was born, was like a prophet, something like a Buddha, died for his cause, like Braveheart or some soldier, you know, laying down his life for his men, and that, you know, maybe God raised him and took him to heaven. But what John does is he blows your mind even more than that, that Jesus is actually God, our creator, coming in the flesh to die for his own creation. It's the foundation of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That makes John 1.14 so amazing. John chapter 1 verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. The word dwelling among us literally means He pitched His tent next to us. God comes from heaven to dwell with us on earth. And he doesn't come as a superman. He comes in the flesh. He never stops being God. If you took on an earth, uh, if you took on a spacesuit to go to the moon, would you stop being man? No, you would just be a space man. When God took on flesh, did he stop being God? No, he became the God man. Y'all better be up this morning. Y'all better be up this morning. This is some deep theology, and it's all about who Jesus is. The Gospel of John takes us to where we now know God created everything. It says, there is the Word. And if you put it together with Genesis chapter 1, Jesus is there making us in His image. Jesus is there walking with us in the cool of the day when we sin. Jesus is there sparing us from God the Father's judgment and giving us a chance to live on without death, without eternal damnation. Jesus is killing the animal to clothe us when we're naked. It's Jesus from start to beginning. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. It's not like December 25th, Jesus was created. Jesus created days. Jesus created months. Jesus created the universe. Before there was ever a day, there was Jesus. Before there was ever a world, there was Jesus. Before there was anything, there was Jesus. Before there was time, there was Jesus. And so it's always been Jesus. But what Jesus does in this special gospel and in his life and what, and what we see is that Jesus comes to show us the Father's love. That he comes to show us what God is like, what, what it's like to be in relationship with the Father. In other words, he shows us what we lost in the Garden of Eden. That's why the most famous verse in all the world is found where? John 3, 16. And what's that say? For God so loved the world that he gave or sent his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him, everyone who believes in him shall not perish but have what? everlasting life, eternal life. And so we see that the Gospel of John, yes, has the center being the cross, but it's the foundation, that introduction that makes it so important, that, that really changes the way we look at Jesus, doesn't it? He's not just a good man dying for a good cause. He's the God-man dying for his creation, taking on our sins. God the Son, think of it this way, took on flesh and entered his own creation to do what? To reveal the grace of God. Are you ready for today's sermon? Can I get an amen? amen? 
Let's think about John chapter 1 as we break it down. Notes are always online. I want you to be uh, challenged or or, uh, I want you to receive this message in two ways. Number one, I want you to be challenged in your mind. And number two, I want you to uh, enlarge your heart for the love of God. So the Bible says to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so we're going to see our mind and our heart work together. You've got to pay attention because today I don't have the time to go through all the details. I am matching this sermon series with our Bible College on Monday, which is also recorded and live, but I know many of you are working, so you can go to SUM Bible College Chicago online, Facebook, and you can go to those messages and see the depth that we go into, but everybody pay attention here. When it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, there are three parts to that John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, that's part one. And the Word was with God, that's part two. And the Word was God is part three. This verse establishes that the Word was uncreated, was in relationship with God the Father before time began and is fully divine and equal to the Father in His nature. Think about that first part. In the beginning was the Word. Everybody say that. In the beginning was the Word. One more time. In the beginning was the Word. Think about that. John purposely linked the Word's involvement with all creation to Genesis 1.1. Because where else did you hear that phrase in the, in the Bible? In the beginning. Where is that? Genesis 1.1. You open up your Bible to the first page, first verse. In the beginning, God. Right? In the beginning, God. He says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John takes you right to that moment. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, God. In the beginning was the Word. We see now the Word is not just any old person. He's not just somebody that was born and had a normal life like us. He was, in fact, God. Before the heavens and earth were created, there was only one triune God existing in three equal yet distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And each one of you now need to understand this. The Trinity is as the most important doctrine of Christianity because it is the definite doctrine of who our God is. So if you were to think to yourself, I love Jesus, that Trinity doctrine stuff, that's too complicated, I don't want to get into that. That's like you saying, my wife's too complicated, I don't want to get into that. If you really love your wife, you're going to get into that complication. You're going to go to the depths of her character and to her personality. Come on, don't get quiet on me now. And then if you're a parent, you're going to say the same thing. I love my children and I want to get into their complicated life and nature. God is beyond us, beyond all of our understanding, but yet he reveals himself in a way that we can understand. And the Trinity is understood, and the Trinity is clearly taught. Let's turn quickly to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 is a familiar passage, yet it holds a hint of transcendence. It has a deeper meaning than maybe what you might have thought when you read through it the first time. Then God said, let, come on, then God said, let, us make mankind in our image in our likeness here you see right now that in the very beginning we understand the complex unity of God complex and there's more than one person of God unified there is not three gods there is not a triad of God sometimes people think the Trinity comes from pagan uh, beliefs like Hinduism where there's a triad of gods three different gods working together that is not what we believe that's what Mormonism believes Mormonism believes the Father is one God Jesus is another God Satan is another God and how are gods made the Father God has sex with mother gods and that's how gods are made that is no different than paganism of Rome that is actually what Mormonism believes but that is not what the Bible teaches there are not three separate gods there is one God 
In the Bible, the Israelite people quoted every day the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. That is Deuteronomy 6.4. The Shema was the basis of all of their prayers. We believe in one God. The word, the word one in the Hebrew there is Echad. One, unified. But look at the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Before a Christian could ever change the Bible. Some Muslims say Christians changed the Bible. That we put plurality in the Bible. That the Old Testament saints never believed this. Or the Razuls, the prophets never believed this. But here we find Dead Sea Scrolls and ancient, ancient manuscripts that predate Christianity. They were buried in sand. No Christian named Paul could have ever changed it. And yet we see the plurality right here at the beginning. Now sometimes people say that the us there is a majestic plural. Like if I say, come over to our house, and I was single saying that, and you come over and you're like, where's the R? It's just you. Well, they say sometimes in language you could speak of yourself in a plural. They call it the majestic plural. But that is not what it says. It says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And how do we know that image is plural? Because when God creates mankind, in verse 27, he created them, plural, male and female. The plurality of God's image is seen directly in the likeness of plurality of humanity. Humanity is made plural. Mother, father, child, three in one, incorporating the family. Here we see the male and female, two in one, becoming what we know as the human race. This is the plurality in unity. And yet God said from the very beginning, let us, let us make mankind in our own image. Now when Jesus came and preached and died and resurrected and began to go uh, back to heaven in Matthew chapter 28, he gives us his final march, marching orders, orders known as the Great Commission. Look at how he tells us to baptize. Verse 19 of chapter 28 of Matthew. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the what? Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus fully reveals to us the name of God. The name of God is the Old Testament name Yahweh that God gives Moses when Moses asked God at the burning bush, who should I tell the Israelites has sent me? There was many gods of that time, and so in their mindset, if there's a burning bush and a God talking to you, you better get his name right when you go talk to the Israelites because they're not going to follow any other God other than the God of the Bible. And that is true today. Still, people are following other gods, false visions. How do other religions start? Demons can appear as angels of light and deceive people. That's why you have to know what name do you come in? Who are you representing? This is a dramatic thing for Moses, and he wanted to know beyond just all the, the glitter and glam going on here, I want to know who you are, who's talking to me. And he said, tell them the great I am that I am has sent you. And that's where we get the word Yahweh. Jehovah Witnesses mispronunciate it into the German dialect, then into English and call it Jehovah. It can be appropriate, but the actual word is Yohevahe, Yahweh, the great God of Israel. That is how the Hebrews would have pronounced it. However, they stopped pronouncing it out of the sacredness, out of the respect for the name of God. Not only did they not want to blaspheme the name of God, they never even wanted to say it unless out of respect and, or write it out of respect. So they took out the vowels and they only put the initials YHWH. This became the name of God. Now Jesus says, I have come in that name and to represent that name, the name that my Father has given me. And now when he sends out his disciples to baptize, he says, you baptize in the one name of the God of Israel, the, the Ahad, the one God of Israel. He is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The let us make man in our image is the Father and Son, Holy Spirit. Making man in plurality. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. We instantly begin to see that God 
is not just one person, that he's with another person called the Word, and the Word is equally God just like him. Y'all ain't paying attention. I need to go over that again. Look up at here at the screen. Y'all need to understand your triune God. I, I'm, I'm tired of people worshiping what they don't know. You see, John says right here, in the beginning was the Word. That means wherever God was, here was the Word. And then it says, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That means that the Word is facing God, and the Word is God in His very nature. So we see here in John chapter 1, verse 1, in that beginning part, in the beginning was the Word, that before the heavens and the earth were created, there was only one triune God existing in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and what? The Holy Spirit, so that it means we believe in the Trinity. How many believe in the doctrine of the Trinity? Let me show you a cute picture then. Here's a way that you can understand it. We don't compare God to water. Some people have tried to make these examples. Don't do it. They'll fail you and it will cause a contradiction. The examples that we have are the Bible examples, and so we use those. Some people say water has three parts, steam, ice, and liquid, but they are not that simultaneously at the same time, so it fails as a belief of the Trinity. We believe they exist at the three separate persons at the same time. Then others would say, okay, well, I can show you an egg, a shell, the egg white, and the yolk. They exist three at the same time, but yes, they are separate. The yolk is not the egg white, and the egg white is not the shell. Another example that fails. The triune doctrine of the Bible shows that the Father is distinct from the Son, is distinct from the Holy Spirit. These three are one, yet the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit. Some might then say maybe they are three, uh, a third, a third, a third, making up one whole God. That is not true. Each one individually is God. So how do we teach the doctrine of the Trinity to our children? So simple. My child understands. Here it is. There is one God who is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one. Does everybody understand that? I will teach it to you like I do my children. That is how my children learn the Trinity, and they will do it for you today. If you keep looking at me like you don't believe me, I will call them up here, and they will tell you the Trinity. Now, remember, there's three parts of the first verse. Three parts. In the beginning was the Word. The second part was, is the Word was with God. Everybody say that together. The Word was with God. One more time, please. The Word was with God. Now, that word with is very important. You have to understand this word with. The Greek word with is pros. It literally means in the presence of, towards, or before. That means that the word is in the presence of God. He is before God. He is face-to-face -face with God. John clarifies in 1.18, further down, just in verse 18, that the word is God the Son and that he's always been with God the Father. See, at this point, we don't know who the Word is, and we don't know who God is being referred to there in John chapter 1, verse 1. But when you go down to John chapter 1, verse 18, you see who he's talking about. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself, who is himself, thank you, God, and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. You see, now we get the identity of who these people are. Who is the Word in this context? Who is the Word? Jesus, but who is He called here? The Son. Who is the Son facing that we know as God and the Word was with God? Who is the Son facing? The Father. You see, we understand that by the very context. There's no tricks up my sleeve. It tells us who he's facing. The son has been in the closest relationship with the father. No one can get to the father except the son. He is in the closest relationship to him. That's why we don't need Mary. That's why we don't need Peter. That's why we don't need anybody else. All we need is Jesus because Jesus is in the closest relationship with the father. 
Is everybody there with that? Now keep going and tracking with me because it's going to get a little deep. This proof of relationship between the Father and the Son from all eternity as separate person dismantles the oneness heresy that many oneness Pentecostals believe today, which deny the Trinity by claiming that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are the same person just manifesting in different ways. This is an ancient doctrine brought up around the 4th century called Sabellianism. Instead of believing in three separate persons, oneness Pentecostals or Sabellianists, which is the ancient name for this heresy, believe that God is one person, but sometimes he's a father, other times he's a son, other times he's the Holy Spirit. The example they'll give you is like with me. They'll say Joe is a father to his, to, uh, to his children, Joe is a son to his father Jim, and then Joe is a pastor to you. Joe can do three different roles, put on three different hats, have three different titles, but be one person. Does everybody understand that? But this is not true according to the verse I just read you. And the word was with God. The Son was with the Father, before the Father, facing toward the Father. This Word is a separate person than the Father. Do you see that? That is what John is teaching. Can you be with yourself? Can you be facing towards yourself? Can you be towards or before yourself? No, you cannot. So the idea that God is one person with three different hats or three different name tags is incorrect. The Bible is very clear that the Son is not the Father. They are separate persons. The Son has always existed as the person of the Son. The Father has always existed as the person of the Father. And the Holy Spirit has always been the Holy Spirit. They have never intermingled with each other. The Son is always the Son. Father is always the Father. The the Holy Spirit is always the Holy Spirit. You can look up Sabellianism to understand more of that. Now the last part, and the Word was God. And the Word was, one more time, and the Word was God. You see, now that's what they'll say, and the Son was the Father, and the Son was the Father. The Son was facing the Father, the Son was with the Father. Not only does that now produce a contradiction, either one part is wrong, both of them cannot be right, but here's where it gets tricky. They say, well, at least, it's still on the Sabellianist thing, that at least we can now say that the Son is the Father. But that's not what happens here when it says, in the Word was God. Because there's also another false Pharisee that comes in here called Arianism, and the modern-day Arianists are Jehovah Witnesses. Now listen to this. The Greek word for theos, or for God, is theos, and it doesn't have an article before it. Now listen to this, those of us who are not into grammar, this is something to take slowly. Listen, it doesn't have an article before it. Thus, according to the grammatical rules of the Bible and of history, how we understand the Greek language, it becomes this right here, a predicate nominative. Everybody say predicate nominative. You can look this up in English. You can understand this. When a Greek noun does not have an article before it, it then acts as an adjective, which is basically what a predicate nominative is. It modifies the word, which is the subject. The logos is in Greek the subject here. The word is the subject, and theos is introduced, and the word was theos, but it doesn't put an article before it. So the word was theos. Now that word theos becomes an adjective. It describes the noun that's known as the word. It describes the subject. Now simply said, everybody say he's going to make it plain. 
Simply said, the word theos there in this part of the verse does not refer to the person of the Father mentioned in John 1, 1b. In the previous section, and the word was with God. He's not in the same sense here. John is not in the same sense using the word God. In John 1b, it refers to the Father. In John 1c, it describes the nature of the Son. The NET version, which is an accurate and most descriptive version of our Bible, translates this section as this. And the Word was fully God. It's not the Word was the Father. It's the Word was fully God like the Father. He is not the person of the Father. He is divine like the Father. Does everybody get that? Okay, if not, the notes are there and the links are there as well. This means, check this out. That the word is equal in nature to the Father, but distinct as a person. Now, what do the Jehovah Witnesses do here? Anybody ever met a Jehovah Witness? Come knocking at your door. What do the Jehovah Witnesses do here? They falsely insert the letter A before God in their translation, and they write this as the version. And the word was a God. And the word was a God. This is what they're going to read to you and say, see, he is not the Father, and he's not God like the Father. He is a separate created being. He is a God nonetheless, but he is separately created. And that's why they'll add the letter there, A, and teach that Jesus is a lesser created God. However, this is a false belief because it teaches polytheism. Remember in the Old Testament, what did the Jews say in the Shema? Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is... One, look at Isaiah 53, verse 10. Not only there, but the Bible is very clear that there are no gods other than the God of the Bible, nor does he create any other gods. And as a matter of fact, which makes this very unique, is this is the verse Jehovah Witnesses go to to show you they are Jehovah Witnesses. And you can rock them from this very passage right here. How many want to rock uh, Jehovah Witnesses? Okay. You are my witnesses, declares Jehovah. And that's what they'll say. And Jehovah is a, mis, uh, a, a translation. It should be Yahweh. So they should be Yahweh witnesses if they want to be more correct. But now watch what it says here. And my servant whom I've chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. Do you all see that? So if you believe that the Father created another God that he called the Son, Jesus, and that this Son is now a God to us, as they teach that he is, you have contradicted not only the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one, you have contradicted all of the Bible, and especially the prophets who are very clear when God says, I am only one, no God before me, no God after me. Does everybody get that? Some of you just wanted to learn today about Jesus loved me, this I know, for the Bible. And now you're learning Greek, you're learning grammar, predicate nominatives, you're learning Jehovah Witnesses. But how many are learning something about Jesus? You're learning something about Jesus because there's only one real Jesus, but many false interpretations of Jesus, many fake Jesuses, right? What Jesus are we talking about? I'm talking about the Jesus who has existed with the Father from all eternity and who is divine like the Father. Hallelujah. That Jesus came and died on the cross for my sins. So the context of Isaiah 43.10 teaches the Jehovah Witnesses that they're wrong and also that it neglects the context of John 1.3. Now listen to this because we read it, which states that the Word created all things and without Him nothing was made that has been made. Do you all remember reading that part? Hello. Through Him, how many things were made? How many things? Through Him, how many things? All things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. 
if Jesus was made, could he have created all made things? Oh, y'all tired today. I'm going to say this again. If Jesus was made himself, could it be said of him that he made all things? It would be he made all other things after him. And that's what Jehovah Witnesses teach. God made him first, then Jesus made all these other things as a lesser God. But that's not what it says. Not all other things. It's all things. All things were made by him and without him. Look how clear it gets. This second part is so clear. It contradicts the Jehovah Witness position, uplifts Jesus to the state of where we put him equal with the Father. Without him, without Jesus the Son, nothing was made that has been made. No argument now. It is impossible for him to be a created being. On one side, just draw a line on your notes. One side, uncreated things. God alone goes there. God alone is the uncreated creation, uh, creator. Uncreated creator. Hello. One column on this side, all uncreated things. Who goes there? God. And who is God? The Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uncreated. On this section, draw the, uh, the, draw the other line here. Created things. What goes here? Everything else. All, everything else is a created thing. You're a created thing. The universe is a created thing. Non-created things, God. All created things, everything else. Are you guys with me? Which category does Jesus go into? Uncreated or created things? Uncreated. And what is the only uncreated thing in all of all existence? God. Is the universe uncrea uh, uncreated? No, it was created. It had a beginning. Is even heaven itself in the thrones of God? Are they uncreated? No, they were created when God created the heavens and the earth. Are the angels uncreated? They were created, were they not? Even fallen angels who left their abode in heaven. Hello. Only God is in the uncreated category. So we know that the Jehovah Witness who wants to teach us that somehow that God created a lesser God called Jesus to make all kinds of other things and be our God is a false belief. Now here's a helpful interpretation to John 1, 1, so now you understand the three parts. You can put it together. In the beginning was God the Son, known as the Word. And God the Son was in close relationship with God the Father. And God the Son was fully divine like the Father. Hmm. Do you understand? Do you understand the Bible? Let's just go to three verses to look at it again. Go to three verses. Let's go to it real quick. John chapter 1, verse 1. I see some looks of confusion. There needs to be no confusion, my friends. I'm, it's not even a trick. Just follow it so simply. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now go down to John 1, 14, our second verse in the same passage. The Word became flesh. Did the Father become flesh? No, the Word became flesh made his dwelling among us, and now for the first time in John chapter 1, we see who the Word is, and we see who God that he's facing is. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son. So the Word is the Son, who came from the Father. That is who the Son is facing, full of grace and truth. And now go to John 1.18. He clarifies it before he moves on to John the Baptist. John 1 through 18, those verses are the entirety of John's theology of who Jesus is. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So when it says no one has ever seen God, what person of God has no one ever seen? The Father. What person of God have we always seen? 
Jesus, the Son. Who did they see in the Garden of Eden, the Father or the Son? Who did Abraham see in Genesis 18 when he was promised Isaac, the father or the son? Who showed up to Moses in the burning bush, the father or the son? Who was the angel or the messenger of the Lord that went before them and parted the Red Seas? The son. Who is it that showed up one like the son of man when Daniel was in the lines and the father or the son? Hello, that is always the way it's been. Who did Isaiah see holy, uh, high and lifted up and the angel said, holy, holy, holy. Who was that? The son. Now, I'm just going to blow your mind because some of you aren't sure what to believe, but how many of you are getting it right now? Let me just show you this one right off the press right here. Isaiah saw Jesus. Don't even take my uh, opinion for it. Take John's opinion for it. John chapter 12, verse 41. John chapter 12, verse 41. Uh, uh, the writer here, John, tells us what Isaiah saw because look at what it says here. Jesus was telling them these things that Isaiah had said, now here in John chapter 12, verse 41, John clarifies to the reader, Isaiah said these things because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Does anybody have glory other than God? No, it's only God's glory that counts. And so G the Bible even says in Isaiah, I don't share my glory with another. Only God gets the glory and it's all for his glory. Now, where did, where did Isaiah see Jesus? Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. Look at what it says here. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I saw Yahweh. See, here is the Hebrew word for you right here. I saw Yahweh, the high and exalted one. Or, or excuse me here, it says, I saw the Adon. I saw my master and my God. And you'll see here, it's going to clarify who he saw in just a minute. He says, I saw my Adon, my master, high and exalted, seated on a throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. Two wings, they covered their feet. Two wings, they were flying with how many? No, that's awesome. That's better than the new Power Rangers coming out, the Power Rangers movie, right? With two wings, they covered their faces. Two, their feet. Two, they were flying around. And they were calling to one to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Is Yahweh Almighty. Holy is this one, right? Who was that one that Isaiah saw? Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. And his glory, the Bible says, filled the temple. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. That is the glory of God. In the beginning was the Word, in the beginning was the Son. The Son was with the Father. And the Son was divine like the Father. Hear, O Israel, there's only one God, and that one God is one. And that one God is one, and yet he is in three persons. No one's ever seen God the Father, but God the Son, who is closest to the Father, has made him known. How many believe that today? What if I told you if you don't believe that, you can't go to heaven? This is the truth of the Bible. When it says those who confess Jesus as Lord, they shall be saved, that word there, Lord, is the Yahweh. If you do not believe Jesus is your Yahweh, you cannot be saved. Now, you may not understand the intricacies of the Trinity, and that's okay. God is gracious to teach us. But if you deny the Trinity or do not believe that Jesus is equal to the Father, salvation cannot be for you. The confession of faith that we make is not that just that Jesus died on the cross. God came in the flesh and died on the cross. Do you understand the difference? It wasn't just a good man died on the cross. It was God in the flesh died on the cross. Now, some people ask a silly question. They say, how can God die? Well, first of all, when we say die, even about ourselves, we all believe we're immortal. 
Our spirits never die. Once we were created, we were immortal. We were given an immortal spirit to our body at the same time of conception. How many believe life starts at conception? Our immortal soul and our spirit was joined to our body. Now, when our body dies, our spirit still lives on. Can you kill my spirit? No. Can you kill my soul? You can't. Well, this is the confusion that many Muslims and other people have about God. When they say God came in the flesh and died, how is that? How could God die? We don't mean God the spirit died. We don't mean Jesus the person died. Jesus' flesh died, just like you die and live on. Do you understand how that is helpful? Because some people will say if he died, what happened in heaven? You know, well, first of all, that's a Sabellianist mindset. They think Jesus is the Father, and the Father died, and what's going on? No, look at Jesus' baptism. Jesus is in the water. Father is speaking from heaven. Dove comes down like a ghost. Uh, like a, The Holy Ghost comes down like a dove. Not the dove coming like a ghost. The Holy Spirit coming like a dove. Come on up here, Nathaniel. I think it's time for us to learn the Holy Ghost handshake. Everybody stand up for me, please. Nathaniel and I are going to teach you the Holy Ghost handshake. Grab your partner by the hand. Okay, go like this. Father. Come on, say it. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Come on, do it. Holy Ghost. You got to do this. Wave it. Wave it like wings. Okay, do it again. Father, Son, Holy Ghost, baby. Woo! All right, good job. Do not get caught up in silly arguments. Jesus was not the Father dying on the cross. Jesus was the Son dying on the cross. When we say the, that the, that the God-man died, we're saying that his flesh died. He is immortal like we are, but except this is what's different. Jesus did not start existing at the conception of Mary. Jesus existed at the very beginning and has never been created. He just took on flesh for that time. When his body died, he went to hell, defeated the devil, went back up to his Father, and then came and resurrected. Come on, somebody. We don't believe God died in the sense of the nature of God died. The humanity dies. Your spirit doesn't die when you die. Your body dies. Everybody get that? Now, how many would like to see the differences made plain? Here it is. This is the differences made plain. What do we believe? We believe in the Trinity, that God is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. The Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Holy Spirit. What does Sabellianism teach? Sabellianism says that Jesus is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. One person acting in different roles. Go back to John 1, 1 now and see what fits best. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Can the Son be with the Father if they are the same person? No. The heir of Sabellianism is now crushed. Going into 1.18, no one has seen God the Father, but God the Son has made him known. If you have seen God the Son, and according to them, Sabellianism, he's also the Father, then can we uh, go along with the Bible and math, uh, uh, with uh, Genesis and all these stories? No, because now it contradicts. But if it says no one has seen God and it refers to the Father, then every time we've seen God the Son, there is no contradiction. Can I get an amen? I got to work this word on y'all some more because I don't think you know about what we call theophanies when God comes and meets with man. This is a very pro the big problem for Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, modern-day Jewish people. They cannot explain this. Look at what it says in Genesis 18.1. The Lord appeared to Abraham. Who appeared? A messenger? Just, just some prophet? Who appeared to Abraham? 
The Lord, we see in his great name here, Yahweh. Does everybody see that in Hebrew? The Lord appeared to Abraham. He appeared to him with other men. These men are the angels that then destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. How do I know that? You read the context. They eat together. He washes their feet. He washes the Lord's feet. He feeds the Lord. The Lord eats with them. Now listen, when the men got up to leave, they looked towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm going to do? So then what happens is those men go to Sodom, and Abraham stays and talks with the Lord, and they end up destroying Sodom. The angels do. And then right here at the end, you can read the whole thing for yourself. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham went home. Genesis chapter 18, verse 1 says, who appeared to Abraham? 33 verse later, who does it say left Abraham? And then two men that were with him were the angels. Two angels arrived in Sodom the next evening, and they did their work there. Three people showed up. The Lord, two angels. Two angels leave, go to Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord stays back, talks to Abraham. Abraham intercedes for Sodom. He gets it down to ten. There's still not ten righteous. These two angels judge the nation. That is the Lord appearing. If Sabellianism is true, you have seen the Lord. John is wrong because the Bible says no one has seen God. Are you listening? Listen to it again, John 1.18. John 1.18 produces another contradiction for them. No one has ever seen God. Did Abraham see God? Yes, he did. Oh, you don't know who the Lord is? See, I know some of you all confused, and you're messing with yourself. you got to pay attention. Don't overthink it. It's so simple, my friends. So simple. Genesis chapter 18, verse 1. The Lord appeared to Abraham. Is the Lord God? Okay, so go back. John, John says here, Look at what it says. John says, no one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. Did Abraham see God? Yes. That's why you need the clarification that John gives. But the one and only Son, who is himself God, and in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So when it says no one has ever seen God, you have to be specific. Has anyone seen God? Yes, we have. We have seen God the Son. God the Son, Yahweh, appeared to Abraham. God the Son appeared to Daniel. God the Son appeared to Moses. God the Son appeared to Gideon. I can go through all throughout the Bible. God the Son appeared to Isaiah. But did God the Father ever appear to Adam and Eve? Did God the Father ever appear to Isaiah? No. But is the Son any less God? No, he is not. You see, Sabellianism is wrong. God is not one person pretending to be the Father, pretending to be the Son, than the Holy Spirit. It contradicts what it says in John 1, part B, and the word was with God. You can't be with yourself. And in John 1, 18, it says no one has ever seen God the Father. We've only seen God the Son. They have to be separate persons. Now, what is the error of Arianism? How is it disproved in this verse? God the Father created the Son, a lesser God, to use the Holy Spirit as a force. Well, first of all, can, a, can God create another God according to Isaiah? No. No God before me, no God after me. But in this context, it says, and the Word was God. It doesn't mean the Word was the Father. It means the Word was God like the Father. And then the next thing that dismantles this entire argument is that through the Son, how many things are created? All things. Can the Son be a created thing? 
No, he goes into the uncreated category. He goes into the category that only God belongs in. Only God is uncreated. Only God is uncaused. Everything else is caused and created. But if Jesus created everything, can he himself be created? No, he cannot. So Arianism is also wrong. What are we left with according to the Bible? The triune belief, tri-unity, three persons sharing equally one divine nature. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, fully divine like the Father. Now that's just the first verse. How many are ready for the next four verses? John 1, 2 then reiterates what John 1 says. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. This reiteration is to show you the Word's preeminence, His preexistence, His distinctiveness from the Father and His deity. The Expositor's Commentary has a great section on that if you would like to look it up online. John 1, 3, through Him all things were created. Without Him nothing has been made that was made. Notice that in this part right here that the doctrine of Jesus as creator is taught. And Paul reinforced this doctrine in Colossians 1.15 through 20. He then calls Jesus the firstborn over all creation. But that is because Jesus is the firstborn among the dead. Just go there quickly to Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. Paul teaches this same thing. And sometimes we get confused with the firstborn of all creation. We don't understand that Jesus had to be crucified, raised from the dead, so that we could be raised from the dead. Look at verse 17. He is before all things. How many things is he before? All things. In him, all things hold together. How many things does Jesus hold together? And he is the head of the church. And the church, uh, he is the head of the body in the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. What does that mean? He was the first one to rise with the new body that we're all going to get. That's why he's called the second Adam. He is the second person in all creation to start at perfection. Adam started at perfection, blew it, brought spiritual death. God comes in the flesh, starts at perfection. That's why he didn't come from an earthly father's seed. He came from the Holy Spirit impregnating Mary. You get that? That's the importance of the virgin birth. And I always talk to Muslims and I say, y'all believe in a virgin birth, but you don't believe he was God. Then what was the purpose of the virgin birth? What was that purpose? It was God coming in unstained flesh made perfect. Anything else would have, would have contradicted the nature of humanity. Humanity was coming from sin to sin to sin because in Adam we all died. But God broke that pattern, came himself in flesh, started over again. Now here's the thing. He, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that as a perfect man, he did it all in humanity's strength, relying upon the Holy Spirit. He did nothing of his own divine strength. That's what shows us our example, that through being born again, we can do it by the Holy Spirit like he did it. He didn't come as a superman he came exactly as a man that's philippians chapter 2 and it says he did all this so that in everything and how many things everything he might have supremacy for god the father we could say here was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him how much of god the father in the deity dwelled within the son of god upon this earth all of it the fullness did he lack anything? Was he like three-fourths full like some of our gas tanks, a quarter tank? You know, No, all of it. Somebody say all of it. And so that's important to know. All created things, whether in heaven or on earth, came from Jesus. Therefore, he cannot be a created thing. Then we get to this next part, which is what I wanted to talk about. I went, some of you are like, he is going so fast. That's because I know I had so much to share. And literally, this is like my message right now. Verses 4 and 5 are my message. 
Literally, no lie. I, I just God help me get this to you because I want you all to get this. Because remember I said I was going to work your mind, but I wanted to expand your heart, right? This is now for the heart. You got to open up your heart. Vinny, would you come play soft music and help open up hearts? You got to get this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through Him. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him, in Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. Let this sink in. Life doesn't come from non-living things, evolution, accident, big bang, explosion. Try to blow up a printing press and see if you get a book, let alone life, let alone your brain, let alone your conscience. Life was given to us the moment Jesus, God the Son, made us out of clay and breathed into us. That's why you're different than animals. You have a conscious self-aware life. I love that. Yes, baby, you are there. We're going to a whole nother level. Y'all better get on the glory train. Choo, choo. Let's go to heaven. And right now you want the little rain stick. Come on. The lights go dim. Yes. See, according to John 1, 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Teaches us that when man was made special in the image of God, remember we read that, let us make man in our image? We were given this directly from Jesus. And guess what John, the book of John, the gospel of John, ends with? Jesus breathing on them and saying, Receive the Holy Spirit. See, God the Son came back down to be with us. Hadn't walked the earth since we sinned in the time of the Garden of Eden. But He came to die for us so that we might live. And right here, our bodies got to suffer the curse of Adam and it has to die. But our spirits can be made new by the Holy Spirit and we can be Born again, John chapter 3. For God so loved the world, the Father so loved us that He sent us His Son, right? To die for us so that whoever believes in Him, whoever believes that the Son is the Word, John 3.16 confirms John 1.1. 1, 1. Whoever believes He's that person equal with the Father shall not perish but have everlasting life see I want you to consider John 120 uh, Genesis 126 through 28 in light of John 1 through 5 God the Father said let us the Trinity make mankind in our own image three separate persons sharing one nature complex unity in our likeness with free will and authority so God the Son created mankind in his own image in the image of the triune God he Jesus created them male and female two persons God the Son then blessed them and said to them be fruitful third person and increase in number this is the story not only of God, but it's the story of you. It's the story of why there's male and female and children. Male, female, child, father, son, Holy Spirit, complex unity. We see in the beginning was the Word making us like Him. 
And then in John 1, 5, we see that the life that Jesus gave mankind resulted in the light of our consciousness. And his life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. The light of your conscience and God speaking to you is found in Romans chapter 1 and all these places I wanted to go, but I don't have time. Because Paul taught that we're born sinners and we have a conscience that knows right from wrong, but oftentimes we choose wrong and we hide in the closet of our own sin and our own darkness and we, and we feel like something's wrong, but we don't know what to do about it and we, we can't see. But Jesus' light shines greater than our darkest sins. Jesus' light shines greater than our, be- our worst failures. And His light overcomes darkness. And that's why we're here today. Because when the Word is preached, Jesus is present. And you can start to feel the love of God. It's literally like a light turning on into that dark space. And you begin to see who He is. You begin to see who you are. And you begin to see who the wor- what the world is and who we are as a human race. And so what we need to understand is that God is wanting to turn the light into life in your life today. He's wanting life, light to be life in your life. And so choose Him. Here's the application. Jesus is both God and our Savior. Jesus is the only way to the Father. Jesus was not created, but He created everything. Jesus created mankind in His own image, gave us His life. Jesus gave mankind an inner conscience to know good from evil. Jesus died on the cross for man's sin so that we could freely choose to commit to Him. And Jesus will transform our inner nature and bring us into relationship with the Father if we believe in Him. Can I get an amen? Would you hear this today? And then we're going to stand up and pray. But hear this today. Before your beginning, Jesus was in the beginning. Before your spiritual death, Jesus was your life. Before you had problems, Jesus was your solution. Before you were living in darkness like Adam and Eve hiding from God, before you were in darkness, Jesus was your light. And before you knew you needed a Savior, Jesus was your sacrifice. That's the Jesus we love. That's the Jesus we serve. Would you stand up and give Jesus a hand clap of praise? Come on, one more time. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God's. Give it up for Him today. Band, would you come? Come on. Come on, we love you, Jesus. Would you raise up your hands right now and tell Jesus you love Him for three things in your life right now. Raise up your hands and say, Gracias. Gracias, Jesucristo, for three things. Thank you, Jesus, for life. Thank you for my family. Thank you, O God, for salvation. Thank you for peace in my soul today. Thank you for every good and perfect gift you've given me from the Father. Come on, hands raised. Tell Jesus thank you. Come on. Come on, come on right now. Jesus, thank you. Gracias, Señor. Gracias, Señor, Jesucristo, our Lord, our God, our Savior. We've never seen the Father, but we've seen the Son. And the Son reveals to us how much the Father loves us. And He reveals to us how much the Father cares about us. Oh, there's nobody like Jesus. Nobody like Jesus. Come on, hands raised. Tell Him there's nobody like you.
There's nobody like you. There is no story in paganism that's like him. There is no story from the Avengers or fiction that is like him. There is no story from other prophets and religions that are like him. There is nobody like my Jesus. Nobody. Nobody. Come on, hands raised. Worship the Son of God. Worship Him like the angels are worshiping Him today. You remember those six wings angels? They're worshiping. They're worshiping. Right now, a few more moments. A few more moments. Just you and the Lord today. You and Jesus today. Oh, in Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now would you look up at me, please, because we're going to sing a song in closing. Would you put up the passage, please? But I want you to look up at me. There are some of you here today, you're dealing with darkness. You're dealing with problems. You're dealing with situations. I know you are. I do too. I've dealt with many before and still there's many that come. I want to sing this with you and I want you to believe with me today that the light of Jesus Christ shines in your darkness, shines in your life, and there is nothing that can overcome it. Highlight that portion at the end. Please, the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness hasn't overcome it. Let's say it together. God's light shines in my darkness. And my darkness cannot overcome it. Say it like this. God's light shines in the light of Chicago's darkness. In Chicago's darkness cannot overcome it. Come on, now fill in the blank. What do you have as darkness in your life today? What is God needing to shine on you today for? God's light shines in the midst of depression, and depression cannot overcome it. God's light shines in the midst of sorrow, and sorrow cannot overcome it. God's light shines in the midst of poverty, and poverty cannot overcome it. God's light shines. It's shining today. It's shining today. Woo! Come on, make it real today. Would you sing it today? I cannot overcome it. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness. Okay, let's bring it up now. Let's lift up our voices. Oh, the light shines. In the darkness. And the darkness. And the darkness. Just a few more times, saints. Come on. In my darkness, in my darkness, in my darkness, in my darkness. Come on, make it personal. Sing it again. In my darkness, in my darkness, and my darkness, we cannot. Whoa, the light shine.
in the darkness. Yes, it does. And the darkness. Come on, just the ladies. Sing it out, ladies. Your light shines. Come on, ladies. Sing it out, ladies. And the darkness. Come on, ladies. Sing it again, ladies. The light shines. Come on. Yes, God's shining in your life today, sisters. That's right. Cannot overcome it. Now just the fellas, sing it out. Come on, men. You going through stuff today, brother? You ain't alone. God's on your side. His light is shining. Come on. Come on. Now everybody cannot overcome it. time oh yes the light shines we're the darkness and the darkness now if you believe it today give god a hand clap of praise come on somebody we believe it we believe it altar workers come quickly please how many know that god's shining his light in your darkness right now and there is no darkness, no darkness that can overcome it. If you need prayer before you go, please come see one of these prayer workers. If you want to testify, because you didn't get a chance earlier, testify to them. We love hearing it. But I want you to believe this today like you have never believed it before. The light shines in your darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. There is light and there is life, and God is, God is raising the dead spiritually, and God is shining in the darkest of places. Chicago can change. Why? Because Jesus is the light. There is no darkness that can hold back light. Have you noticed that? Whenever light comes on, darkness leaves. So how am I confident? How do I know that God can change young people? Because the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness can't overcome it. That's how I know. Because in the beginning there was God. And He said out of darkness, let there be light. He can do it again and again and again. Right? Come on, somebody. I'll preach this thing again. Woo! I feel Jesus. Some of y'all got to go home and meditate on this. Take those five verses on a prayer walk this week. Put it into the hip-hop beat if you have to. Go out there and get it in your mind. Whenever you see problems come your way, just go, God's got it. God's got it. He's under control. You know why we believe that? Because He was there before your problem. Why is it he says that the power of faith in his name can move mountains? Because he was there before a mountain. And it was his word that made a mountain. And he can make that mountain jump into the lake if he wants to. Come on. 
That's why. That's why our God is so good. That's why Jesus could forgive sins everywhere he was. And people are like, only God can forgive sins because he was God in the flesh. When he told you you were good, you were good. And when Jesus says you're forgiven, you are forgiven. Adam, when Jesus said it is finished 2,000 years ago, it was finished. It's just taking you some time to realize it. But I want to tell you what. All that you've been through is working together for your good. Because your test is your testimony. And what was once a mess is now your message. Come on up here and pray for us. With your permission, I want to edit that part of our service and put it on just by itself as a video. Can I do that? Sure, sure. I was going to do it anyway, but I just wanted to make sure. I love you so much. Will you pray for us today? Lord, Lord God, I thank you for this time, God, and your presence and all, all the people you've touched and all that you're going to do, God, in our, our lives, Lord. I just pray that you would, would give us grace this week to walk out, walk this message out, Lord. And I, and I pray for everybody as they as they leave that they'll arrive home safe, God. He will just continue to rock our lives, God, and do what you do. In your name I pray. Amen. Isn't he worth it? God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you at Life Groups. Come on up for prayer or join the after party. Yes. I believe. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three and one. I believe in the resurrection. That we will rise again For I believe in the name of Jesus I believe in God our Father I believe in Christ the Son I believe in the Holy Spirit Our God is three and one I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again for I believe in the name of Jesus Jesus Welcome to the after party, those who are here. What an amazing song. We're going to keep singing worship with us. If you need prayer, we're here. But I feel such an anointing to just love on Jesus today. Let's just love on Him, those of us who have the time to do so. Come on, keep singing this, Adam. It's wonderful. Thank you. Jesus. I believe in life eternal. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the saints' communion and in your holy church. I believe in the resurrection when Jesus comes again. For I believe. Oh, I believe. Come on, let's lift our voice. I believe in God. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection.
Yeah.